Bible. We're going to turn to John chapter 4 in a moment. going to read from verse 46 to the end of the chapter. John chapter 4. going to continue the series that we started last Sunday night. This is the second part of seven signs that we read about in John's gospel. Seven miracles. Jesus did lots of miracles, but seven miracles in this gospel that the writer refers to as signs. And what's the purpose of a sign? A sign points us in a certain direction. We don't stop at the signpost. The signpost points to something greater, something more significant. And that's what the signs do in John's gospel. They point to the person who has performed the miracle. They point to exactly who he is. They point to something greater. They point to somebody greater. And the purpose of these signs is that we'll work out exactly who Jesus Christ is. And we're told the purpose of the whole book, John chapter 20, tells us these signs have been written down that we might believe. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life and have life in his name. And as we study these signs in John's gospel, that's what we want to make sure that everybody in this room has. We want, to, want you all to know that, or want you all to know that in your own hearts that you have life, eternal life, life in all its fullness. These signs also point and give us a greater insight into exactly who Jesus is, what kind of Messiah he is, and what difference he makes in our life. And so if we're a believer, it's a great insight, it's a great blessing spiritually enriching to find out exactly who our Messiah is and the blessings that he brings into our lives. So let's read God's word. Let's read John 4 and let's read from verse 46. So he, that's Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. Now, the most frightening experience I've ever had in my life happened a number of years ago when one of our children was a baby, and they took a convulsion. They were seriously ill. We had gone out for the day. We were up the north coast, and the child started to get a temperature. We'd pulled in at a garage. Joanne had gone in to get some calpol, try and get the temperature down. And as Joanne was inside, our daughter um, had a convulsion and then went lifeless in the back of the car. And it was the most frightening experience of my life because I didn't know what was happening. I'd never experienced this before. I didn't know if the child was dying in front of me. And so I did what any concerned father would do in that situation. I grabbed her in my arms and I ran across the forecourt of the garage and I ran into the shop because I did not know what to do. And I didn't politely start asking people, excuse me, could you help? I started screaming and shouting at the top of the voice saying, help me, help me, I need some help. There's something wrong with my daughter. And at that point, everybody in the shop just stopped and stared at me. 
because they hadn't a clue what to do either. But in the panic, we started, you know, shouting, and Joanne obviously came across and was, you know, can somebody help, can somebody help? And at that point, somebody came through the door. They'd been on the forecourt putting petrol into their car, and they'd come in to pay, and Joanne recognized this person. She didn't know them, but they, she knew this man's wife, and she knew this man was a GP. And so Joanne went over and didn't politely ask, would you mind coming over? She basically grabbed him and brought him to where our child was and said, help us do something. And thankfully, they were able to help bring the child around and uh, we got the ambulance. They brought her on to hospital. But it was a frightening, frightening experience. And today what we find in this passage is we find a similar situation. We find somebody whose child is sick. Child is sick with a fever. Obviously, they didn't have Kelpole of medicine like we were able to put into the child on that occasion. So something serious. And it actually tells us in the passage that the child was sick on to the point of death. Now, the father is an official. That means he worked for royalty. He worked in Herod's court. And he was a man, obviously, of wealth and position. He could afford the best doctors in the land. But he goes to see Jesus. Because Jesus' fame is spreading, probably a result of his miracles that he performed. The miracles he performed, Cana, that we heard of last week, turning water into wine. Miracles that have been formed, performed in Jerusalem. And so this man, this concerned parent who's desperate, desperate as I was to see their child recover again, he travels, but he has to go a bit of a distance. Because we don't know our geography here. You know, if you look at this, it says Capernaum down to Galilee. What's our Cana? How far is that? It's actually 20 miles. No cars, no public transport, done on foot. That would have taken hours and hours of traveling. But this man is desperate, and he will travel 20 miles to help his son. Now, it says in verse 47 that he asked Jesus to come back. We get this picture because it's all written very neatly and politely there in our English translation. He asked him, would he come back? So if you had, excuse me, Jesus, would you come? The word actually used in the original language is a word that refers to repeated persistence. Imagine me in the garage shouting, screaming, help me, help me, come and do something. And I'm going to keep shouting this until somebody stops and comes and helps me. This is how desperate this man is in the situation. He begs Jesus to travel. Jesus, you're here, but come with me. I want you to walk 20 miles. Come down the road with me because my child needs you. And Jesus' reply at this point is startling. Jesus' reply, as often as we find in the Gospels, is not what we would expect. Let's read verse 48 again. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Seems like a cool reply. It seems as if there's not too much compassion in the words that Jesus says to him. Actually, what Jesus is saying is a rebuke. Now, it says that Jesus said to him, But the word you in the sentence, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The word you is actually in the plural. So Jesus isn't just saying it to this man. He's saying it to all the listeners, all these Jewish people who are listening, who've come to see Jesus perform miracles. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Because that's the problem with this crowd. This crowd want to see miracles. That's why they're following Jesus. But sadly, they're not interested in the one who performs the miracles. They have seen signs with their own eyes, but they haven't followed the sign. They haven't followed where the sign is pointing to. 
They haven't believed, and they haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're still skeptical of Jesus, and so they're coming up with things, perform a miracle, because unless we see, we will not believe. It reminds us of Thomas later on in the gospel. Show us a sign, and then we will believe in you. They want good wine. They want a free meal, like what happens later when Jesus feeds the 5,000. They want their loved ones healed, healed, but they don't take notice exactly what the miracles mean. They stop at the sign, and they're not willing to go any, mer- any further. You see, Jesus' miracles, what he said, are really, really significant. They point to the fact that Jesus is unique, that Jesus is divine. They point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the real purpose, for he stressed, and we need to get this, the real purpose of these signs is to point each one of us to faith so we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. Verse 48 is actually an ironic statement because it's not true. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's what the people are asking for. Show us a sign, show us a wonder, and then we will believe. And they've seen the signs, and they've seen the wonders, but actually they don't believe. They haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the purpose of this rebuke might seem like a cold statement that Jesus makes. The purpose of this rebuke is to challenge the crowd because ultimately he wants them to believe in him and to follow him. And when Jesus Christ is addressing the crowd, the official wants to get back to the situation that's still distressing him. He doesn't want to get into this. He wants to get back to the matter in hand. And so he says in verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Let's cut to the chase here. Let's get to the main point. I need you to come with me. The word come actually used there is a command. He is commanding Jesus Christ to come the 20 miles. In other words, you have no option here. You need to come and heal my child. This is a royal official. Somebody works in the court, used to giving orders and commands. He's doing the same thing here with Jesus Christ. How does Jesus respond to this command? Let's read the start of verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Jesus doesn't give in to his command. Jesus doesn't follow him. Jesus doesn't do exactly what he requests. Instead, what he does to this man, he's just given the command, is he does the same back. The word go is actually a command as well. So the man said, come, and Jesus said, go. Leave me. You go down. Go back home. I don't need to go with you because when you get home, you'll discover that your child is well. Now, this is the real challenge. The real challenge of the, the passage is what will the official do with the command that Jesus has given him? He's not asking him to go across the street and check if his son is now well. You go. You travel the 20 miles. That's going to take you quite a few hours. It's going to be quite a few hours before you can see with your own eyes whether Jesus is healed. There's no telephones. He can't phone ahead. He can't do a FaceTime to see if his son is okay there. He's got to take Jesus at his word. That's the challenge. Does he have the faith to believe that his son is actually healed? Is he willing to believe? Is he willing to believe even though he hasn't seen anything with his eyes at this point? Is he willing to take Jesus Christ at his word? And we see the response at the end of verse 50. 
the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, this is a desperate father. You think he would take Jesus by force and physically bring him there to make sure that Jesus was in the room. Because if he walks 20 miles and nothing has happened, he has to go 20 miles back again to reach Jesus. What faith. What faith for a desperate man to leave and to head on home. And as he walks home, he leaves without having seen the miracle with his own eyes. Yet. He will soon. But he goes out as this step of faith. And that's exactly what faith is. We're only given one description of faith, one explanation of what faith is in the Bible. We find it in Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 describes faith in this way. This is how the NIV puts it. I think it puts it very well, very, very striking statement. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so as this man stepped out and as he headed the 20 miles home, he put faith into action. He was sure of what he hoped for. What did he hope for? His son would be better. And he was certain of what he didn't see. He couldn't see if the son was better or not. But you see, faith is not a leap in the dark. That's what some people think. It's just an intellectual suicide. It's a leap into the dark, and you don't know if these things are true or not. No, what the Bible says is faith is actually steadfast confidence, even when we can't see with our own eyes. And how is it not a leap into the dark? It's because who you put your faith in. You see, Jesus Christ is somebody who can be trusted. And the words that Jesus Christ say are words that can be trusted. Now, how do we know that? Because in the scriptures, in the stories, we have these accounts of these signs. And what are these signs pointing to? Jesus is no ordinary person. Jesus is somebody who's unique. Jesus is somebody who can do things that nobody else can do. He's miraculous. And all these signs are pointing in one direction. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so when Jesus speaks, when Jesus gives his word, he's not a charlatan. He's not an actor. He's not a pretend person. Jesus Christ is somebody who can be trusted. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, the one where all these signs are pointing towards, it's not a leap into the dark. It's not a leap into the unknown. We're actually able to step out and say we're sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see because Jesus Christ himself is trustworthy. Now, the passage actually tells us that the official didn't arrive back home, that 20-mile journey, until the next day. Why did it take him so long? Well, maybe, depending on the time of day, it got dark. He had to stop overnight. I wonder what his sleep light was like that night. Did he get a good night's sleep? Or was he awake all night, anxious? What condition would his son be when he arrived back home? Would his faith be foolish? Absolutely not. Because when he arrives home, he discovers that his son is healed and the fever has left. Now, this miraculous healing, this sign of Jesus reveals three incredible things about Jesus. The first thing it reveals is that Jesus is able to heal instantaneously. Because when he asks the servants, when he inquires of them of when the son was healed, it's exactly the same time that Jesus had spoken to him. So Jesus spoke and the son was instantaneously healed. 
That's a miraculous thing. The second thing that it tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is not limited by distance. That's what makes this healing miracle different, unique from other healing miracles that are recorded in Scripture. Often when somebody comes to Jesus, maybe a blind man or somebody with leprosy or the woman with the issue of blood, they're physically standing in front of Jesus. He can speak to them. He can touch them. He can raise a child from the dead. He's physically there. And some people might say, well, sure, doctors can heal. They're physically in the presence. They could maybe give some medicine, put a smelling salt under somebody's nose to sort of wake them up, to stir them. They can do something. Jesus is different from anybody else who can heal because he's not physically in the same location. In fact, there's 20 miles of distance and yet he speaks, not even in the presence of the person and the child is instantaneously healed. There's no doctor can do that. So what is this sign pointing to? This is somebody unique. This is somebody incredible. And the third thing this miracle teaches us is that the word of Jesus can be trusted. He said to the man, go home, your son is healed. And the man stepped off in faith. And every step along that 20 mile journey was a step of faith. And when he got home, what did he discover? Jesus can be trusted. What Jesus says is exactly how it turned out to be. And what was the result of this miracle actually? People saw the signs, and they just didn't stop at the sign. They followed the sign where it was pointing, and it says that many more people believed. Actually, verse 53 tells us, not only did the man believe, that all his household believed in Jesus as well. What is the purpose of these signs? We've reiterated it all the way through the sermon here tonight. The purpose of these signs, as they're recorded in Scripture, is to point every single one of us in the right direction, that we might discover exactly what kind of Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ is, and as a result of following the signs, that we might believe and that we might follow him as well. Here's the challenge for each one of us this evening. It's exactly the same challenge that this father faced 2,000 years ago in this situation. And the challenge we face when we hear Scripture and we read the Bible is will we take Jesus at his word. When Jesus speaks, will we believe what he says? Is Jesus trustworthy? And is he somebody worth putting our faith in? Let me give you an example. Let me quote the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3 and 16. It was Jesus Christ himself who spoke these words, where he says, for God so loved the world, that he give his one and only, his only begotten son, speaking of himself, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I was actually converted through that verse. You've heard me share this many, many times. Converted as a child. Somebody shared that verse with me. They explained the gospel. They explained who Jesus was. They explained what Jesus had done for me. And they explained what Jesus said. And I believed that. And I took Jesus Christ at his word. And I put my faith that Jesus would keep his word. That verse, John 3, 16, looks forward. It looks forward to a future event. It actually looks forward to future judgment that's coming. And so when I put my faith in the word of Jesus, when I took Jesus' word, I believe that I won't perish. 
that on the day of judgment, I won't be cast away from God forever and ever to the punishment that actually I deserve because of my sins. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I won't perish, but instead I'll inherit this incredible blessing. Instead, I'm going to inherit eternal life. I believe that Jesus' word, as we find it in John 3, 16, can be trusted. And on the basis of that, of putting my faith in what Jesus said, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be with him forever and ever and ever. And the big question is, can Jesus Christ be trusted? Will he be faithful to his word? Or am I just naive? Absolutely not. Because the accounts of the Gospels, as we have it here in Scripture, clearly point to the fact, their signposts that point to the fact of Jesus' true identity, that he is somebody who can be trusted. Perhaps you've heard many of the things that Jesus Christ has said. You come along maybe on a Sunday night to church. If you grew up in church in Sunday school, you've heard the teaching of Christ and the claims that he makes and the challenges that he makes to each one of us and what we need to do by believing in him and trusting him. Maybe you've heard the word of Jesus, but you've never actually done anything with it. You've stopped at the signpost and you haven't followed it. Well, it is time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said these words, John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was a big claim for Jesus Christ to make. It's an exclusive claim. He's basically saying the only way to get to God the Father, the only way to get to heaven, the only way to be saved and rescued in this life is by going through Jesus Christ. He is the only exclusive way to get to God. Now, many people will dispute what Jesus said. They will say what Jesus said is wrong. The question you need to answer is can you trust Jesus with his words when he says he is the only way, the exclusive way to God the Father, can he be trusted? Do you believe what he says and when you believe what he says you actually need to follow the sign and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ you need to trust him you need to follow where the sign is pointing if you believe the sign is saying here somebody's trustworthy somebody must be the son of God who is the only way then you need to follow the sign and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ maybe you're struggling tonight following that sign Maybe you're not exactly sure whether you can trust Jesus, trust him with your salvation, trust him with your life, both now and forever. Come and have a chat. I'd love to chat to you about spiritual things. These are the important things. Don't ignore the signs. Don't bury your head about them. These are important things. So come and talk about spiritual things. But also here tonight, we have come to a communion table. And many of us have come here because we want to remember Jesus Christ. And we want to remember his great act of sacrifice. We've come today, tonight, to the Lord's table because it's a place of remembrance. We were thinking about that this morning in our series in Joshua, how God's people stopped before they entered the promised land for an act of remembrance. They celebrated the Passover. And we thought about the spiritual implications of that for the church today, how it's good to stop, to pause spiritually, and remember what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done for us. 
But when we come to the Lord's table and when many of us later on are going to eat some bread and drink some wine, we're actually putting our faith in what Jesus Christ has said. And we're actually putting our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he cried out. These are the words that came from the mouth of Jesus. He said, it is finished. What he was saying there, what he was expressing in that powerful phrase is, it's done. There's nothing else that you need to do for your salvation. There's nothing else you need to do to get yourself right with God because I have done it all. I have paid the price for your sins. I have taken your place. I have died taking your punishment, taking the wrath of God. It's done. It's finished. That's what Jesus said. It is finished. And the question tonight, as we come to the Lord's table, is can we take Jesus at his word? Do you believe that? And so when you eat the bread and you drink the wine, it's actually an act of faith. And you're coming here and you're giving thanks because there's nothing else that you need to do. It's not based on any works or merit where you try and build up your account to please God. You actually come here and you rest in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has done it all. And you eat the bread and you drink the wine with a real assurance and you leave here with a peace in your heart. And it's not a case of, oh, I need to do more or maybe I might get up to this standard. No. We come here with an assurance. Why? Because we're taking Jesus Christ at his word. And we're putting our faith in it. We can't see anything. This is just normal bread and wine. We can't see that our sins have been taken away. We can't see things physically that our, our relationship with Heavenly Father has been restored. There's nothing physical we can see with our eyes. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Why? Because we trust Jesus Christ and what he says. What did he say that first night at the institution of the first Lord's Supper, Matthew 26? As for they drank the cup, he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Speaking of what was going to happen within a few hours when he died on the cross and his blood was poured out, my blood's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so when you drink, it's reminding that your sins have been forgiven. Can we take Jesus at his word? We can. Why? Because all the signs are pointing to this is somebody who's trustworthy. This is somebody who's different. This is somebody who's worth putting our faith in. And this is somebody who keeps his word. And if we could speak to that official, he would testify here tonight and say, Jesus spoke. I put my faith in his word. And do you know what I found? He was trustworthy. He was trustworthy beyond my comprehension. And he's somebody worth believing in. And so the Lord's Supper is a wonderful place to come tonight and rejoice that we can put our faith and trust in somebody who is totally trustworthy. As we prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table, I'm going to ask our musicians to come back. They're going to lead us in a song, Wash Me, O Lamb of God. We're going to sing this, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Thank you.